you have God's Word, turn with us to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. While you're looking, let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. I am a faculty member at Shorter University. I'm assistant professor of Christian studies. I teach mainly uh, missions classes, uh, introduction to the Bible classes, uh, church history. Uh, I have, uh, my wife and I have served the Lord for a number of years. Uh, she was here in the early service this morning and wasn't feeling well, so she snuck out and went home. Uh, actually, she told me she'd heard me preach already, and she thought that was enough. So, But see, I have to listen to it. I tell people all the time, uh, you know, when she starts preaching better sermons, I will. She gets six days a week, and I just get one. So, But anyway, no, she's, she's a sweet lady. God has really blessed me. Uh, we've been in the ministry now almost, well, a little over 30 years. 30 years ago, uh, 1980, the Lord called me to preach. And I've been trying to faithfully serve him wherever he's placed me. Uh, we have been missionaries in Chile, and we'll save that for a different time. Uh, but uh, the last several years we've been serving as pastor. I've been serving as pastor of churches until about three and a half years ago when God brought us to Shorter. Uh, now that's been an eye-opening uh, experience. Some exciting things are happening at Shorter. I wish I had time to tell you about those, but I'd rather preach. So if you will look at God's Word together. Let me put my glasses on where I can see. There you go, that's better. Uh, look at beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we simply pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten these words that, Father, your Holy Spirit would make application of these words to our lives. And that, Father, lives will be eternally changed for your honor and your glory. And, Father, we pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, there was a movie that came out about Bobby Jones. And since I enjoy playing golf, I thought I would enjoy the movie, and I did. Um, but in that movie, uh, Bobby Jones was asked a question. See, Bobby was an amateur. He played because he wanted to play the game. He had a natural swing. He could have won a lot of money playing golf. But in the movie, he actually said, I want to be known as an amateur. And then he went on to explain what that means. He said, an amateur is one who plays for the love of the game. When we think about First Baptist Church of Lindale, what label the people put on us. You think back throughout history, there have been a number of churches who have been known for their great music program. Some churches that are known for their architecture. You go to the, Europe and you see all these great cathedrals and some churches are known for their architecture. Some churches are known for their great preachers. I think about Bellevue Baptist Church. They've had a number of great preachers. First Baptist Church, Dallas. A uh, number of those churches that have had great pastors, and that's what they've been known for. And so, as people think about First Baptist Church, Linda, what do they think about us? If I, in fact, if I were to go, maybe just take a survey, go knock on doors in the community and say, 
Tell me what you know about First Baptist Church Lindell. I wonder what kind of answers I would get. Paul, in this particular passage here, speaking to a group of Christians, says he noticed some things about them. And in this prayer that he was offering up for them, he reminded them of some of those characteristics that were a part of that congregation. And I think there's certain characteristics that ought to typify every church. All churches ought to be known for these things, and I think they're found in this particular passage of Scripture. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Notice, first of all, Paul says here in verse 3 and 4, the church should be known for a faith that is soundly defined. Notice he speaks about their faith in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, as he was praying for them, I've heard that you are a people of great faith, but it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. We live in a day and time uh, where people think there are many different paths to God and there are many different paths to be okay when your end comes. As long as you're sincere about what you do, then you'll be okay in the end. The problem with that is not in this book. This book tells us, in fact, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. It says over in Acts, there's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. Only the name of Jesus Christ. And so I hope and pray that First Baptist Church Lindell is always known for a faith that is soundly defined. In 2011, the Barna Group did a survey and found that only 43% of Christians, those who identify themselves, those who call themselves Christians, only 43% of them believes that the Bible is accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. Now, I'm not talking about people out in the world. I'm talking about Christians. Only 40, less than 50% of people who claim to be Christians actually believe that the Bible is accurate. Another statistic, in 2009, they did another survey, and only 9% of all Americans and 19% of Christians have a biblical worldview. And they define what that biblical worldview is. The Bible is accurate. Truth is absolute. Satan is a real being. And people cannot earn their way into heaven. Less than 20% of Christians believe those things. Now, that's a slam on preachers, folks. You know, if you preach all that time, surely somebody's getting the message of what you're talking about. The Bible is God's truth. It tells us what we need to live. It reveals to us who God is. It reveals us to us who our Savior is, Jesus Christ. And God's Word is absolute. In fact, the Bible says, the things of this world will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word is eternal as the heavens. Every church, folks, that names the name of Jesus should be known as a people who lift up Jesus. In preaching, and singing, and witnessing, and praying, we should be known for a faith that is centered in a person. It is a faith, first of all, centered in who Jesus Christ is. A faith that is centered in who Jesus Christ is. Who is he? Well, look over here what Paul says. In verse 15, what does he say? He is the image, literally the stamp 
of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, don't get confused about that thing about firstborn. I hear people say all the time, that means Jesus was created or he was born. No, that's not what it means. Firstborn son had management responsibilities. He was over all the household. And so what it says when Jesus is firstborn, it means that he is the manager of all that God has created. Look what he says down here, just to make it a little bit clearer. Look what he says in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was God come in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, as John says, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is nothing less than God. It amazes me when I listen to people talk and when I look at all these different groups and all these different religious ideas and religious beliefs, everybody somehow or another tries to figure Jesus in their thing. Because they know if they can figure Jesus in, they'll attract a certain number of people to become a part of their group. But start asking them what they believe about Jesus Christ, and they'll say, oh, he was a good person. He was a good moral person. Uh, He had a lot of great ideas. He cared about people. Um, He was a great prophet. He was a great healer. He healed people. I want you to understand, folks, that Jesus Christ is God. He's nothing less than God. He claimed to be God. These people that read the New Testament say Jesus never claimed to be God. They hadn't read it the way I've read it. The Bible says Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. The Jews understood him what he was saying because they picked up rocks to stone him for blasphemy because they just didn't believe his claim. They didn't believe who he said he was. They didn't believe that he was the God he claimed to be. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, just time and time again, you see in the Scriptures where Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh. Jesus was who he claimed to be. Our faith needs to be centered in him as a person. C.S. Lewis uh, was a skeptic who eventually came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He said there's really only three different valid opinions about who Jesus Christ is. He either is a liar... All those things he said in the Scripture is not true about being God. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. Anybody that claims to be God that's not really God is crazy. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? If I were to stand up here and claim to you and tell you I was God, you would laugh and get up and walk out the door. And my wife really would if she was here. She knows better. Or the only other option is he's Lord. There's no, there's no other opinion. Folks, he's not just a good prophet He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a healer. He does all of those things, but that he is so much more than that. Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh. Our faith needs to be centered in who he is as a person. We also, our faith needs to be centered in him as a person as he relates to creation. It is a faith centered in who Jesus is in relation to the material things of the universe. Jesus Christ, according to verses 16 and 17 here, it says here in verse 16, for by him all things were created, whether things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the creator of all things. Verse 17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do you realize that Jesus sustains this universe? 
make no mistake about it, when this universe is destroyed or this world is destroyed, it won't, it won't be us responsible for it. Now, we're trying really hard to kill it. You know, we are. But the Bible says that God is going to burn up this world with fervent heat, and he's going to make a new one. God is the one who sustains the universe. If Jesus Christ ever decides to go on vacation, folks, we're history. Thanks be to the Lord, he never does. He ever lives to make intercession for us in heaven. And so you and I have that great promise. We need to understand also not only how Jesus relates to material things, but Jesus Christ, our faith needs to be placed in him and his relationship to the church. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. Now, you see my body. My body is somewhat put together, and, and I've got a head on it, do I not? What controls my body and tells my body what to do and how to make these movements? It's my brain. It's my head. Folks, Jesus Christ is the head of the New Testament church. I'm not the head of the church. Pastor Tim is not the head of the church. The deacons aren't the head of the church. Brother Kevin's not the head of the church. Brother Eric's not the head of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the head of the church. As a pastor... Almost every church where I've served, there's been those people that thought they were God-appointed leaders and heads of the church, uh, and they want to do things their way. And if, uh, like one of them told me one time, Pastor, I was here long before you got here, and I'll be here long after you're gone. Well, that may be the case. I don't know. But the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The pastor's not the head. The members aren't the head. And if our faith is not centered in the fact that Jesus is the head of the church, then the church itself is nothing more than a social club. If Jesus is not the head, it's not a church. Is that clear? If Jesus Christ is not the head of the church, if he's not the Lord of the church, then his spirit is not in this place. And this is no different than going to your PTA meeting at school. People may act a little bit more civil, but it's no different. Jesus Christ, our faith needs to be centered in who Jesus is in relationship to the church. I used to tell my church members at business meeting that the only responsibility we have when we come to business meeting, or I forget what you guys call it, we call it business meeting, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the only responsibility that we have is to find out what God wants us to do and do it. That's it. It's not, I mean, the church is not a democracy. It's a Christocracy. Christ is the head of the church. We don't decide, you know, this side votes one way. I actually had a church like that one time. Everybody on this side would vote. If they voted for it, then everybody on this side was going to vote against it. And vice versa. If this side voted for it, this side over here was going to vote against it. But you know what? When it comes to, to business meeting, my opinion doesn't matter. And neither does yours. The only opinion that matters is the head of the church, who is the one who is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who has the right to tell us what to do and lead us in the direction that we should go. And when God reveals his will to us, if he is truly Lord of our lives, the only appropriate response is, yes, Lord, we will do it, regardless of what it costs, regardless of how hard it's going to be. If God leads us to do something, God will empower us to do what he leads us to do. Let me move on. We could be there for a while. But uh, it's not only a faith centered in who Jesus is, in his relationship to 
uh, and who he is in his personhood, being God in human flesh, and not only uh, in how he relates to creation and not only how he relates to the church, but it is a faith that is centered in who Jesus is because of what he has done. It is because of what he has done. Look what Paul says here in verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 19, as I read earlier, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed, through his blood that is shed on the cross. Our faith doesn't need to be centered in who Jesus is. It needs to be centered in what he has done. Folks, Jesus has redeemed us from sin. He has taken us out of a kingdom of darkness and placed us in a kingdom of light and placed us in the kingdom of his dear son. Does that not bring great joy to our lives? Does that not bring joy to your heart to know that you were once in darkness, but God has placed you in kingdom of light? God has redeemed us. And you know the great news, God not only has redeemed us or or brought us out of bondage, but it also says He has reconciled us to God. The Bible says it this way over in Peter. He died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Not only God not only took us out of the, the bondage to sin and the darkness of the, in the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light, but he took us by the hand and he took God by the other hand and he put the two hands together. He literally reconciled us to God. He put us in a right relationship with God. That's what God's done for us. That's what Jesus Christ did. How did that happen? It is through his blood that was shed on the cross that he was able to accomplish that. He has redeemed us. And so our faith needs to be not only in the person of Christ, but it needs to be based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Well, that's a sermon all in itself. I could have preached that for a while, but let me just mention a couple of the other things, the other characteristics that we need to have. Second of all, the church should be known for a love that is splendidly manifested. A love. Listen to what Paul says here in this verse. Notice in verses 3 through 4, he says, We thank God, in verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Now, did Paul say he thanked them because of the love they had for all the people in the world? No. He said, because of the love that you have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I remember reading in church history, and I teach church history at this school, and I can't remember right this second. I think it was Julian, but I'm not certain about which Roman emperor it was. But he was one who tried to revive, after Christianity had become the state religion, he tried to revive the old pagan religions. And it just burnt him up that Christians cared so much for each other. And the Romans didn't care for their friends. Those who followed the pagan gods didn't care for the others that followed the pagan gods like the Christians cared for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, we need to be known as a church that loves each other. You know what says so much to the world? It's when they see people of different backgrounds, different races, different uh, economic uh, level standards, whatever you want to call it, 
when you see all those people coming together and they truly care for one another. I've got some great Christian friends. I've got some friends in churches halfway across the world that if I were to pick up the phone and say, I've got an emergency and I need you here, they would drop whatever they were doing, even if they had to miss a day's pay, and they would be here for me. And they could call me and I would do the same thing. Because that's what brothers and sisters in Christ do for each other. They care for each other. But I've also been in churches. Haven't been here in this one long enough, so I can't tell you. I have been in churches in times past where I've seen Christians who didn't even show the simple love of one human being for another towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. That ought not be, folks. If Jesus so loved us, we ought to also love one another. In fact, we're kind of in Sunday school, you guys who are in Sunday school, we're talking about one anothering. You English teachers, close your ears. It's worse. I don't know where in the world they came up with that term because it's just bad English. One anothering is not good English. But that's what the title of our series of Sunday school lessons are right now. And it's talking about, last Sunday we talked about how, how can you say that you love God who you've not seen when you don't love your brother who you have seen? In fact, Jesus said, if you say that you love God but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Not my words. Take it up with the, with the Heavenly Father. I didn't say that. God did. Folks, we need to love one another, genuinely love and care for one another. We need to meet each other's needs. We need to carry each other's burdens so that the world will see how much we love each other and they want to have a relationship with God. The church should be known for a love that is splendidly manifested. Uh, some people say, I will love you if you think what, if, if I think you are what you ought to be. Or if I, if you think the way I think, I will love you. Or an important one, if you dress the way I dress, I will love you. If you smell the way I smell, I will love you. See, we put all these conditions. But we are to love unconditionally just as the Father loves us. In fact, we pray, do we not? We pray a prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us this day our daily Yeah, give us this day our daily bread. But we also pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, we can't, what that prayer is literally saying, if we're not willing to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot expect God to forgive us. Now, God does, but we ought not expect God to forgive us if we cannot forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I mean, I know... Just like normal families, we don't always get along with one another. And that, that might be okay, but we're still supposed to love one another. A church should be known for a love that is splendidly manifested. Thirdly, the church should be known for a hope that is securely deposited. A hope that is securely deposited. Notice what Paul says here. He says, you have already heard about... Or you, you have heard about your, we've heard about your faith and your love that you have for all the saints. And this faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. When we, when we talk about the biblical concept of hope, we're not talking about this willy-nilly thing that says, oh man, I just hope I, I'm okay and I'm, I'm hoping one, one of these days when I die, I'll get to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible talks about when it says hope. Hope is that thing that's been deposited in Christ where Jesus Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, one day I will come and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ, the one who split the veil in half and gave us access to God, literally lives to ever make intercession for us until the day that he comes to get us to take us home. When God gets finished and his, that, you know our place gets finished, whatever that is, I mean, I know people get excited and talk about mansions and all that kind of stuff. I don't get excited about mansions because, you see, did you hear what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place, and when I, when that place is finished, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I could care less about a house as long as I get to be with Jesus. Folks, we are to have hope. We ought to have hope. We ought to be people. We ought to be a people positive and uplook and outlook. Now I know things get bad, and I know the world doesn't always go the way we want it to. And I know the world right now looks like it, our economy and everything else looks like it's crumbling beneath our feet. But Jesus Christ is still on the throne, and He's still preparing a place, and He's promised that when this life is over with, He will come get us. Peter talks about that inheritance that we have. He says. That inheritance in First Peter chapter 1, he says, We have an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it can never perish. It is undefiled. That means it will never spoil or go bad. Ever had any fruit you stuck in the refrigerator and one of them goes bad and it infects everything else, doesn't it? Not about heaven. In heaven, it will never spoil. And then it will never fade away. And it is reserved in heaven for you. For who? For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 6 tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Now, does that sound like some willy-nilly thing that we hope one of these days we'll get to go to heaven? No, it doesn't. We have an anchor to our soul, and it is the hope that God has put in us. And for that reason, we need to be positive and outlook and uplook. And we need to be so in love with Jesus that people see it in our lives. We don't need to be critical and complaining. And I mean, I know we all do it, but we don't need to do it all the time. We need to show forth Jesus Christ. I want you to know this. When we get... So in love with Jesus. We have our faith that is soundly defined, and we get so in love with Jesus and so in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It's going to make a difference in how we live our lives. And you know what? People are going to see that in us. And that brings us to the fourth point that Paul mentions here in this passage of Scripture. The fourth thing that the church ought to be known for, the church should be known for a fruit that is clearly evident Fruit is the natural result of a healthy tree, is it not? Now, how many of y'all gone out in your backyard? Maybe you got an apple tree or a pear tree or a plum tree or you got something out there. How many of y'all have ever gone out there and seen the tree going, I got to get some apples? Has anybody ever seen anybody do that? Tree, no, apple trees don't do that, do they? The healthy, the result of a healthy apple tree is that it produces apples. It doesn't have to strain to do that. That's what it's designed to do. And folks, that you and I have been designed to produce fruit. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, I've given you a commandment that you are to go and to make disciples. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Folks, the very natural thing for the church to do is to grow. I had a friend of mine who was pastor in church one time. And God had done a miraculous work. He'd been there about a year. And in that first year that he was there, he literally, there, there were 50 people that came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that church was smaller than this church. God was doing a great work in the midst of that congregation. About the time he was there for his one-year anniversary, the deacons called him into the deacons meeting and said, Pastor, that's enough. He said, what? What are you talking about? They said, you brought enough new people into this church. We want you to stop. And the whole thing was it was a power issue. Because 50 new people come to the church, they couldn't outvote them in business meeting anymore. That's what it was all about. But isn't that sad? The you know, a healthy, you know, a healthy apple tree produces apples. A healthy church grows. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. He's promised to do that. And you and I are yet to be a part of his great work in the hearts and lives of people. When you and I get so in love with Jesus and so in love with one another, and that love is manifested in a daily basis, and we get so positive in our hope because we know how it ends, folks. You know, people all get hung up on all these different theories about the book of Revelation. What I tell my students in class, the most important thing is in the end, Jesus wins. And every person who names the name of Christ, who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they win too. Don't you want to be on the winning side? The book's already been written. Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says that one of these days, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that fact that He is Lord. The difference will be for those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, we get to, we get to be on the winning side. We get to be a part of that. And we'll leave the other side for a different day. Those who don't put their faith and trust in Jesus, uh, they lose. And nobody wants to be on the losing side. Well, Bobby Jones was known as an amateur, one who played for a love of game. If we were to ask people in this community, what would they say about First Baptist Lindale? Would they say that we are a people who has their faith centered in who Jesus Christ is? Their faith is clearly defined. Would they say that we are a people who love each other and care for each other? Would they say that we're a positive people, that we have a positive outlook on life? And would they say, you know, your fruit is clearly evident. It's pretty easy to see because it's out there for everybody. And the fruit, of course, is that which honors and glorifies God. It's not anything we do. It's what God does in and through us. Church member, I want to ask you something today. Do those characteristics that I've just talked about in this sermon today, is, is that reflected in your life? Do you look like Jesus, in other words? Have you let your own wants and wishes and desires keep you from being all that God wants you to be? Have you tried to force and say, I don't know, I haven't talked to the pastor, folks. This is something, I, this is just between you and God. But have you tried to push the church to go in a direction that maybe God didn't want it to go in? Does your life reflect the love of Christ? 
Do you understand that Jesus, the scandalous, marvelous love that we talked about earlier in that song, God died for us while we were yet sinners. And He's brought us into His family. And He simply wants us to do His will every day of our life. If these characteristics aren't part of your life, maybe you need to to come rededicate your life today. Maybe you need to just stay where you are and pray and ask God's forgiveness. Maybe you need to make your way and talk to another church member and ask them to forgive you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. Only God knows that. If you're here today and you've got this idea that as long as you're sincere about whatever it is you want to believe, you're going to be okay in the end. I want you to know it's not found in the Word of God. I don't have time to go back and read it, but I want you to go through and read this passage and see how many times it refers to the Word of God as being truth. This is truth, this book here. Jesus is Lord. He's proven that once and for all from, by His resurrection from the dead. If the grave couldn't hold Him, what could? But God this day offers to you eternal life, a life that does not end, He wants to give you a love for other people, a love for Himself. He wants you to have a positive hope. He wants you to have that anchor for your soul that's found only in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes a very startling, scary statement. You know, we all like to talk about John 3.16, but most of us don't go as far as John 3.18. In John 3.18, it says that we, those who have not believed in Jesus Christ stand condemned already. So without Jesus Christ, you are in a state of condemnation. And your eternal destiny will be separation from God in a place called hell. It's not my idea. That's God's. It's in the book. Nobody wants to go to that place. Your worst enemy, your best friend, nobody wants to go to that place. God offers to you salvation today. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins. And He wants to redeem you out of sin and to take you by the hand and reconcile you to holy God. He did that because He shed His precious blood at the cross.